I know right now we're talking about QA and yes, it is true that involving QA in some of those discussions will help raise those questions earlier on. But I'm sitting here as an implementation consultant thinking, yes, and then you need to have your implementation consultant in at that point, because when you say you want card abandonments, you need to show me in the user experience or give me the opportunity to ask you, okay, do you consider that when they click on the X? Do you consider that when they merely don't go from page A to page B? Is it from field one to field two? Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. And it's much better than my MacBook one. Like generally the picture just looks better. Is it really? Yeah. No figure. Yeah, that, that's that's really interesting. I've been trying to get a standalone webcam, like a, a full HD webcam. But obviously since March, like you can't find them anywhere. Mm, yeah. Yeah, we, we did find one um, for the kids, but it's not super high quality. Mm-hmm. So, but they needed it for school. Cool, cool. Well, thanks, thanks both uh, for joining today. I think this one's going to to be a fun one. Um, so, Jen, we've got uh, a returning guest with us today. So, you weren't able to join us the first time, and so uh, definitely wanted to make sure I got an episode with the two of you. So, today we we have uh, returning guest um, Eric Richter from the DataQuake Group. So he's the founding partner and chief data exorcist over there. Dude, I love that title and I will use it every chance I get when, uh, when, when, when you're on with us. Um, so to get us started, you know, we, we, we caught up last week, talked through a couple topics. I think we've got a bunch of really good things to talk about. But before we get started, Eric, you know, give us an update on uh, what's going on with you, what, what you've been up to since uh, we last chatted. Uh, yeah, so been working on some partnerships uh, with some of the industry's leading platforms focused on data quality and governance. Um, we're also um, having a lot of productive conversations with some potential customers to really hone in on what we want to do within the market, which, as I mentioned last time, is uh, is really around being custodians or janitors in the space. Uh, not a lot of people really focus on the on the back end of things. They do all of the the more exciting things, the <laughs> data visualizations and the analysis and things like that. So, um, and really focusing on data quality and focusing on on a lot of the uh, data centric things, integrity of the data. I think we've uh, I think we're going to go into a really cool space. Sorry for my dogs walking around. If you hear. <laughs> Her nails clicking on the floor. <laughs> uh, that, that's what makes it real. She's a pacer. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so as you're talking about like the uh, you know the partnerships that, they, that you're working on, you know, what, what are your thoughts on on data quality as as a service? Data quality as a service, uh, interesting. Um, it uh, it's it's something that's sorely needed as long as it's uh, as long as it's good data. I guess I should probably. I uh, should probably say that. And, and lots of times I hear people talking about, you know, all the different data that we can give you and we can, you know, we can capture everything and you can just go and dial in and, and pull out the bits that you want. Um, that all sounds fantastic to me most of the time until you start thinking about the details, devils in the details type of thing, uh, where um, in terms of, the data needs to be solid, right? Well, it's interesting to me how you phrase that, Jim, of, of as a service, because I think a lot of folks think of QA tools and um, put a lot of perhaps investment and thought into which tools they're, they're going to use. Obviously, ObservePoint comes to mind, though there are others out there too. Um, but 
I feel like what most folks are missing are viewing it as a people resource thing or as a services thing where uh, tools are great, <laughs> but a lot of people don't get full value out of them because they aren't, they don't have the right people to use the tools. Um, yeah, I think that's something our industry is going to have to pivot on here to improve data time, quality. Uh, yeah, to, to piggyback off what you just said, lots of times the uh, the solution's great. Let's let's get a let's get a solution in here, and let's get it uh, let's get it working. Looking at the marketing. And looking and listening to the sales guys, lots of times you hear, you know, it can slice, it can dice, it can do this, it can do that. You can fire your entire QA team if you have one. Um, you know, the data is going to be perfect, right? It's kind of like the old uh, TMS sales line of it's so okay. easy. Anyone, you know, a marketer can do it. Right. Uh, a single line of code. Yeah. I go yeah. back to that one. That one still. That one still gets it's me. It's the it's the marketers that that lots of times, uh, you know really mess it up for everything, everybody. That's why I said uh, data as a service, you know, really, really depends on what it's being, uh, what it's there for, what you're going to be using it for and where it comes from. Right. So uh, I don't trust it. All data is guilty until proven innocent. Sometimes yeah. even when proven innocent. <laughs> yeah. And, and Jen, Jen, to your point where I was kind of going with that, one of the things we, the three of us chatted a bit about last week and where that question was leading to is, you know, let, let's talk about data quality, um, data integrity as, as, as its own COE or as its own practice within an organization. Because I think what we've all seen, I bet you we all have horror stories, is QA is, is a task. Data quality is a task that, and, you know, a part of each group involved, development, analytics, everyone has that. And then they have their own little isolated set of best practices for it. Um, and one of the things we've been finding for years is that data quality and QA has to be much more holistic, you know, taking in the whole ecosystem, not everyone just looking at their little slice of the world. Yeah, I think for me, a good example of that frequently um implementation these days is often just done in JIRA tickets. The developers want to know what are the expected results so they can check off this JIRA ticket. And the expected results might go as detailed as, you know, look at the analytics beacon and you should see V1 equal to this and V2 equal to that. Um, but even that, it, it, that would be awesome for a lot of folks. They're not even that far of, of having that as part of their process. But even if it were, nobody's going to be looking at does the MID, does the experience cloud ID stay the same between beacons or all of these other little nuances that until you're looking at the bigger picture or you know a lot of the kind of gotchas and things to watch out for, you're not going to catch on it on any single beacon, but only when you look at the whole user experience. Um, you know, nobody's going to catch that because it doesn't readily fall into anybody's role. It doesn't fit on a JIRA ticket as easily. Um, yeah, it's, it's a problem. <laughs> yep. And as far as like the, the holistic approach, one thing I even think of as far as that is, is common metric and dimension definitions. Mm -hmm. So what does the, uh, the, the, the team or the organization define as, as revenue? Is it pre-tax, post-tax? Does mm -hmm. it include this? Does it include that? Um, do you include discounts or not discounts? And then, the data, you know, what that you're defining as revenue and then distributing that out across multiple tools. So you have your analytics tool, you have your, your, your various marketing tools. Um, you know, are they all getting the, the same number and are there discrepancies between that? And if there are say de different definitions of revenue, one tool wants it one way, one tool wants it another way, documenting what those differences are because, what happens when you get that inexperienced person looking at both tools and they say, Oh, revenue's off. There must be a technical problem somewhere. And, and, and I am, I'm probably going off on, on, on a tangent here, but that's what I think of when I think of data quality holistically, it's, it's, it's also ensuring, you know, are there common definitions? Is there a data dictionary? And then are we following standards across all tools? You know, you start, you know, you start with the technical, like is the beacon firing? And then beyond there, how's the data being distributed throughout the ecosystem? 
Yeah, and I think that that also plays into the uh, tools versus people because you can invest in, let's say, ObservePoint, fully in, in ObservePoint. Um, and even if ObservePoint, you have some services that are helping you make the most of it and, and actually set up all of your, your rules and journeys and things like that. If you don't have the data definitions, you don't have kind of your, your dictionary or um, a, a good sense of what your expected values and your key flows and maybe some of your edge cases, if you haven't already defined those, then that's going to limit the amount of value you can get out of a QA tool. And frankly, defining those will probably help beyond just QA. It's, it's a good idea to have those things defined. Um, but I, th I think I often see that as the major hurdle for folks before they do QA is you have to do the legwork of, well, we have to know what our expected results are um, for this particular user flow. And uh, yeah, that, that's a, a big task for some folks. For Eric, sure. you're being uncharacteristically quiet. <laughs> I, was, I was hoping. Uh, the, the last question um, you had around people and, um, and doing QA uh, or division of, of labor, basically. Um, one point I wanted to add there was if you have developers, God forbid, doing QA, um, I call it unit testing. Some people call it QA. Um, wrongly call it QA. Yeah, and, and there's value in it, so long there as it's is, not the course. only thing that you do. Of course. Yeah. Um, typically, though, you're only going to test it one way. You're going to test it to make sure your code works in a specific set, usually mm -hmm. on one browser, usually on Chrome or Safari or, I guess, Firefox way back in the day. Um, but you're not really looking at it from an integration standpoint. You're not looking at it from how does it fit in with the larger the larger part of a flow, for instance. If you're only looking at a single page or uh, steps between a flow, um, you're doing it a, a disservice, obviously, and uh, trying to put these, uh, I guess they're tests, but they're not, they're not, uh, they're, there's no, uh, there, there's no, cohesion there with, with what, with what you're trying to do. It really needs to be more of a, a process. It needs to be more of a, uh, uh, thoroughness of thought needs to be put into, like you said, what are we expecting to see versus what are we seeing? And, and a lot of these things comes from context, right? So you've got folks that Historically, um, they've been given here's what here's what you need to test at the very tail end of things um, because the development's happening so fast and and things are changing so quickly. Don't even tell the QA guys what's going on. Just let them, you know, at the very end, we'll let them know what they need to test. This is this is backwards and wrong. the The context needs to be given throughout. Uh, the conversation as things are happening, as flows are being updated, as things are changing, the QA uh, department needs to be informed. They need to be consulted. They need to be, you know, because they're going to be responsible at some point. They're going. They need all these other things within within Racy, you know, to to kind of get in. If there's going to be any sort of certification done, obviously accountability, right? Um, then you have to make it its own practice. And that's one of the points I think you, we really need to get to is developing QA as its own practice. And I know we got into that a little bit last time, uh, Jim, you and I did with, uh, with Jason, but uh, it's, it's really imperative at some point um, to get a seat at the table, not only for analytics, but for uh, QA specifically. Um, I would I would argue that everyone within the organization, all the different disciplines, need to have a seat at the table. They need to have their input ahead of time, rather than you know you hear all these things, uh, the you know retrospectives and what did, how did how could we have done better and all those things, um, where they're deconstructing all the things that that went wrong, um, where lots of times we as analytics folks understand things as they're happening and as things are unfolding we can we can throw in some really valid points in there as you know we're getting off 
base here. We're getting off track. This is going to probably be a problem rather than having everything go to production. All of the, uh, all of the data starts flowing in and it's wrong. Sorry, I made up for the last, uh, the last bit of not talking with extra talking. I think one of the things that you said that um, it's kind of key there is getting their input. Because to me, we often view QA as merely an out, like we give them our output and they take it and run with it. Um, and we rarely say, hey, QA person, what would be a good way to test this? Or what are some edge cases we can think of? Or um, you know, here's our ultimate goal. Can you help us get there? Rather than us just saying, here's what we think we need to do, do it. Uh, and I also think that a lot of that uh, comes with just the bigger problem of needing more cross-training. You know, we don't need devs and QA people to necessarily know how to build a full, beautiful workspace report. But if you even just walk them through, hey, this is, you know, the beacon that we're going to be looking at and how it kind of maps into the reports that we're looking at. Um, and here's the overall process, how it starts with business requirements, and we're talking to the product folks, so that's where a lot of this comes from. A lot of them don't even have that, because you know, they're just in, looking at their JIRA ticket. <laughs> what is the, the least amount of information I need to know to check that JIRA ticket off? Um, and the more folks just have that bigger picture, whether or not they become like deeply skilled at analytics, um, but just giving them a view into things outside of their roles, it really helps it all come together. And uh, in the end, I think it, it saves a lot of headaches because um, you have more people able to keep an eye out for problems and understanding what will work and what won't work and what to keep an eye out for. In pulling your head out of the trench every once in a while and looking around, kind of like you're saying, uh, it really does help to give different perspective on uh, on, as we mentioned before, Jim, on asking why on a lot of things, it's not enough to be given, this is what this is going to do. And this is the type of data we're going to get. You know, lots of times, if you're looking to, to form unit tests and to, to really put things together, you have to ask why. And you have to look at things from a user's perspective. How is the user going to use this? What's this flow not just the happy paths, you know, all the unhappy paths and what happens if I do this and what happens if I do that? And so, you know, going back to uh, getting context from the different parts of an organization, if you're working with a product team and the product team doesn't have the design done for a flow or pages and you're looking at, at uh, you know, just basic wireframes or somebody's drawing something on a whiteboard, you know, Lots of, lots of different ways to do things. Um, looking at all the different pieces and educating uh, the product teams who don't really think about the analytics and the what questions do we want answered, kind of helping educate them on, you know, there's I see there's an X button here and there's a close. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do they do the same thing? Do you want the same thing captured as a, for instance, um, you do want to know when people are abandoning your flow, right? Oh yeah, we do. You know, those types of things are really key critical pieces that it's really nice as a QA guy to be there for that portion of it mm -hmm. so that I'm not asking the same questions over and over later. I'm not asking a question that you may have asked if you were playing the analyst role or you're playing the, uh, I know you've got lots of hats or so you're playing the engagement person where you're talking about, you know, potential flow. Um, you don't have to recall that if I'm in the conversation with you, I know the answer and I know it more deeply and I understand the flow better. Um, so more reasons why I think we definitely need to get QA involved in the overall, overall uh, process. Yeah. I, I definitely agree. And um, well, that that what you were just talking about of, okay, so card abandonment is a great example because that can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So I get a list of requirements for a new site feature that's going out and the requirements include, we want to know how often people abandon, where are they falling out in the flow? What are, where are they abandoning, uh, say, a form? Um, and 
I know right now we're talking about QA and yes, it is true that involving QA in some of those discussions will help raise those questions earlier on. But I'm sitting here as an implementation consultant thinking, yes, and then you need to have your implementation consultant in at that point, because when you say you want card abandonments, you need to show me in the user experience or give me the opportunity to ask you, okay, do you consider that when they click on the X? Do you consider that when they merely don't go from page A to page B? Is it from field one to field two? Um, those type of things which will inform how we do QA, but also help me build a better solution um, that makes sure that we're all talking about the same thing when we talk about card abandonment. Because um, I'm gonna ask different questions and the QA person's gonna ask different questions and altogether, that the QA questions might not just make it QA easier down the line, it may actually make the solution better because they have insight into that type of picking it apart and thinking of edge cases and things like that that don't just apply to QA, they apply to, well, how do you want that to show in reporting? Agreed, 100%. So how do we get folks <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, first to, to invest more in QA and see it as not just a tool, but as part of the process. And even then, not just the tail end part of the process, but a piece of every part of the process. Well, if quality uh, is important to you, <laughs> then it should be. Um, you know, we should only track the things that we really care about, knowing what the data is, is there. And I say that a little tongue in cheek, but really we should only test the things that we, that of, of those things that we care about the data being accurate. Yeah. Well, and I feel like a lot of folks would definitely agree. Like, yes, data quality is important. Um, often that's why they sign checks for tools and things like that, uh, whether or not they, they get enough people behind them. Um, but we're all constantly playing a game of catch up in this industry of, yes, we really want to get our QA process set up, but right now we have to make sure that we get tagging on this feature that's going out next week. Um, and then as soon as that feature goes out, there's next week's feature that we have to get tagging on right away. And right. QA just constantly gets bumped, not necessarily because it's not seen as important, but because it's not seen as, as time sensitive, especially for a lot of folks who have already been going however long without paying a, a lot of attention to data quality. And it's not until something really big breaks that you can be like, aha, this is why it was important. <laughs> Um, getting them to see that ahead of time, that it's important enough to slow down and fit it into your, your current timetable um, on top of just everybody desperately trying to keep, keep up with new features and new implementations and bug fixes and stuff. Definitely more important to explain why it's important than to have an I told you so moment. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, no, we don't like those I told you so moments. Yeah. But, but as far as those I told you so moments go, have either of you had a situation where you've had a really big situation like that and people actually change their behavior? Because, I mean, from I, I had, I've seen a couple times where we've had a few big moments and we said if we were able to slow down and actually fully vet this, this wouldn't have happened. And I feel like within a few weeks to a few months, the old behavior was back and everybody forgot that. So there was a lot of talk, a lot of promises, a lot of we're going to do these steps going forward. We're going to make sure we slow down and we really check things. But then the old behavior comes back. Um, what have you both seen when you've had those I told you so moments? I'm trying to think, because I do have a, a customer in my past that definitely had that or client um, kind of shift at some point. I'm trying to remember what even started it. Cause there, there were definitely points where we're like, Oh, told you so we should have tested that. Or now that we've seen this error, we know that we need to test in IE 10 better or whatever it is. So it, it might be that um, when something breaks and something goes wrong, rather than saying, well, how do we fix our whole process? We say, what's the, the bandaid that would have prevented this exact thing from happening again. And that is testing in IE 10 or um, you know, wh whatever small thing it is rather than fixing the whole process. But I did have one client that um, <laughs> we called it a, a reset workshop because it was really looking at the entire process, not just with QA, though data quality was a huge problem, but also with um, 
scalability and maintainability of their implementation. And we said, like, this is not working. There are too many points of failure. We're not catching those failures. Um, let's redefine our whole process from beginning to end. And a big part of that was making sure we documented and understood this is the user flow. These are the edge cases. Um, if we're if we're saying we're tracking a, an add to cart as part of this new site feature, well, what do all of our add to carts have in common? And what is this one going to do that's slightly different? Let's document that and I'll have it in mind. That helps with QA, but that also helps me as the tech spec builder um, not have to reinvent the wheel every time. So I have seen it done. I'll admit that was a little while ago. Um, and it's sad how much I, I haven't seen it done since then, just because, like I said, we're all constantly trying to keep up. And if if there is a failure, we'll often think of the immediate, well, this happened because we didn't test IE10. Let's do that next time. I've run into those two as well with uh, browser specific. And I've, I've pulled them out before as well when somebody said, uh, how long is this going to take to test, to QA, to get certification on this? And when I tell them, you know, typically it takes three to five days, there's the, why, why so long? Right. You know, um, well, we're testing four different browsers. We're testing real devices. Um, we're going through a litany of tests at this point uh, uh, where looking at the entire SDR, we're looking at uh, at all of your props and EVARs, making sure, you know, everything looks good end to end, you know, within the browser, as well as in the, the Adobe report suite, and making sure that you're seeing things hitting the uh, appropriate uh, report suite. There's a lot of, a lot of moving parts there uh, as it relates to doing QA. Um, Going back to the other thing that you said about having issues where something happened. Um, I do have a, I do have a small war story here um, where add to carts stopped working at a, at a company I was working with. And uh, it was some sort of really seemingly innocuous change that was made. Uh, I believe it was to searches Um where some code was was switched around and from the from the page the product there was a product uh, detail page and there was a uh, just a regular uh, product page as well uh, with all the different items on the detail page if you went there and you clicked add to cart the button it didn't track mm -hmm. if you clicked it from the main product page with the all the products, it worked fine. And so we noticed during the day, it was a during a, a regular uh, production release, um, everything was fine right about the time everything was, uh, had been, uh, all the code had been dropped in Cyton and, you know, tested out fine, everything looked good. And there was another change that was made by the front end group maybe about an hour after we had gotten into our mm. testing and, and uh, right about that time, it just cliffed for all mm. of the product detail pages. And I think, I think I'm quoting the person, right? We didn't think there would be a problem with making this change. Um, they didn't tell us <laughs> obviously. And it was a, a complete hairs on fire. Everybody's running around moment because the freaking add to carts stopped working. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and, and I'm sure we all have so many stories where it's a, yeah. we made a small change that we didn't think would affect anything. Right. And, and turns out it does. <laughs> I certainly have quite a few where it was my change that I, um, you know, I had a client where I, they had a very small team and I was the main person in, in their tag management system and also their main person doing an EQA, which by the way, don't have a person be their own QA person. Um, where, you know, the tiniest of, of change and, you know, I publish it without going through a thorough QA because it was only going to affect one tiny thing. And I checked that one tiny thing in, in the user happy path and yeah. it breaks. And those are the worst days as a consultant to be like, I broke, I broke something. Like I will lose sleep if I know that I, I lost 
you know, hours of, of important reporting. Um, thankfully, that's not something that happens very often, but it traumatizes me when it does. Um, and every time that that happens, it's one of those like, okay, next time. And that'll last for a while. I have a few years or so of, of always being very thorough and careful um, until the next time. And, and that's just, I feel like a lot of the time we are playing whack-a-mole uh, you know, what you just described, Eric, of being very methodical versus the, the whack-a-mole approach of, oh, this time we missed this problem that happens in um, IE10. I think my favorite ever was Safari 5. We found that all of our visitors were, uh, the visitor ID uh, service wasn't working on Safari 5. And you say, why Safari 5? That is the last version of Safari that um, you can still use on a PC. And apparently there are some people out there that use it. Um, and apparently it doesn't work well with modern ways of identifying users. So those type of things were like, well, now we know. Whereas if we go to Eric, he's played so many games of whack-a-mole. He knows all of the moles and how to whack them in advance. <laughs> um, that, you know, going to somebody that has all of those experiences and can say, these are things that we know frequently cause problems. We're going to look at them in advance before they even become problems. Um, it's a big headache saver in the end. What are your thoughts of releasing code on a Friday? Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, I thought of this as, as, as you were going through, through your story about two months ago. Uh, a client we work with, um, they had their developer release what was supposed to be a minor update to the search results page, and it foobarred the data layer completely on those pages. So search tracking just dropped completely. And they, you know, they, they pushed it out on Friday, and I think it was done against the developer's better judgment. But it, again, they were kind of being pushed, oh, come on, it's a small update, let's get it out, and then... Monday comes along and there's no search tracking and search tracking was down for almost about a week by the time they got a fixed QA and actually, uh, actually deployed. Jeez. Yeah. So I've, I've seen stuff like that. And then you've got various rollbacks, you know, contingency programs where, and that, that can be a pain too, right? Mm -hmm. If I roll my code back and these guys haven't rolled their code. Exactly. Back, yeah. That, yeah. That turns into another uh, tedious exercise. You have to QA I, your rollback I'll thoroughly I'll and not just assume it'll work the way that it did last exactly. time. Exactly. I'm, I'm so on edge at that point. I hate when that happens. Uh, yeah, one of the one of the rules broke, uh, you know, something search tracking, you know. And that's a big one. I mean, that's a big one to break. Uh, Friday, I'm going to act like I didn't hear the Friday releasing code on a Friday. That's terrifying. Yeah, it's scary. I, I, you know, it's cold sweats. I prefer Tuesdays or Wednesdays. You know, it's a good day of the week. Monday, you know, despite all your good intentions, everybody always has something happen over the weekend or, you know. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you're releasing code on Friday. is <laughs> <laughs> high. I think one of the, the nightmares that comes to mind for me was this last year on New Year's Day. Uh, a slew of Adobe Analytics. I think it was this last year. I don't know. Time is a loose concept in 2020. But on New Year's Day, a lot of folks who had the Get Time Parting plugin um, for Adobe Analytics, uh, Adobe Consulting had had a copy and paste snippet that covered everything up through year 2019. And then as soon as you got to 2020, the plugin broke and it broke all analytics tracking. It didn't just break that variable. And yep. so New Year's Day, we're all on vacation. Um, it, it's not a code release issue because we haven't changed anything. It's just the calendar changed. And um, you know, some of my clients that had uh, alerts set up caught it almost immediately. And then fortunately, we were all able to go to all the other clients and say, eek, look at this. Um, otherwise, we could have gone you know, days <laughs> of before we came back from vacation, realized we had lost all our data um, from January 1st onwards. So, I guess that's uh, an argument for regular testing regardless of publishing cycles and setting up alerts and things like that, that um, it's not always something that you did that's going to break it. And automation for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And automation with alerts. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah. So, so I want to pivot the conversation a bit and um, go back to what we talked about a little bit earlier in this conversation, the previous conversation about um, QA, data quality, and, and, and analytics in general not having a seat at, at the big table. Um, and one of the reasons for that is, is you know, analytics and, and the data quality of it are seen as, as a cost center. Um, whereas like the, the sales pitch from all of the, the, the technology companies out there are is, you know, analytics being able to impact revenue, all of that data you're now collecting, how you can actually have a positive impact on revenue. Why, if that's the sales pitch, why is analytics and the, the, the data quality needs that come with it still seen as, as a cost center and not something that can actually drive revenue. Jen. Yeah, sorry. I was having a weird it all of a sudden sounded like a, a remix of jim um beatboxing or something there for a moment i had to funny <laughs> on um cost center right that's well first of all talking about having qa have a big seat or a seat at the big table for a lot of folks it's not a big table what do you do when you only have an analytics team of two or three people um and it's, it's hard to justify even you know the headcount for those three much less add in another person, um, or as is often the case, give one of those three people, tell them, oh, by the way, you're now a QA expert on top of your day job. Um, so it's, it is bigger than just QA, um, that whole cost center versus profit center. If your company views analytics as a cost center, then it's going to be harder to get more than three people at your table. <laughs> um, it's kind of a catch-22, though, because if you have low-quality data, it's hard to prove out your value. And if you can't prove out your value, you can't get the resources you need to improve the quality of your data. Um, yeah, I the, the whole cost center versus profit center for uh, your COE, that's a big, a big topic and a, a big point of frustration, I guess, for me, how hard it is to get higher up folks to not just see the value in kind of a lip service-y way, because everybody sees the value. We're a data-driven company. We, we love data. We see the value of data. But seeing it to the extent that you invest in the right resources um, and aren't just getting it so you can check off the box that you have analytics implemented, um, but rather start getting value out of it. So. I don't know. I don't feel like I answered your question um, <laughs> other than to say it's a big problem. And I, I wish I knew a better way of um, establishing that the analytics, um, that, that it is something that can generate profit if you let it. But frankly, it, it is a cost center at some places. And that's why it's seen as such. Um, I think you can... Uh... You can look at um, data quality uh, as an indicator of you know the success of of what and my son's home as a uh, as a success of of how uh, how how your uh, apologize. Yeah. He sounds happy. That's a happy sounding dog. The, the strategy around getting everything, uh, you know, in place with with tracking um, with all these expensive tools and all of these expensive people um, looking at the data quality uh, that you have is, is really important. I've got a, a quote here that we've got on our website from Kissmetrics. The average enterprise can achieve up to a 70% boost in revenue based on data quality alone. So poor data quality will affect your, uh, your bottom line. Uh, good data quality will positively affect your bottom line. So are you spending money? Is it a cost, is it a, is it a cost center or are you saving money uh, through the savings and data quality, making better decisions, um, being more informed, um, having uh conversations with your customers that you can in turn measure and that you can, uh, that, that you can uh, drive value from. 
So uh, I guess testing would be a good a good uh, a good uh, proof of that. Where you've got a hypothesis, um, you know, if we're to uh, have a pop-up versus a modal, which one would be more effective in driving uh, conversions for something on the site? Um, you could either say, we feel that the modal is, is uh, you know, it, it's intrusive on my customer experience. So I, I don't want to have uh, this modal um uh, popping up. Whereas, uh, you know, having some sort of banner option where the person can see a call to action and click on it and then act on it um, may be a better option. Using science, you know, we, we know that we can suppress that modal, not have it pop up, maybe show a banner instead and test, you know, experience A versus experience B. And we can have a clear winner uh, you know, using Optimizely or Target or something like that um, to do so. And in turn, we can directly impact our, our bottom line there, mm -hmm. uh, where we can say, you know, you were, you were wrong. The, the modal actually performs better than this, uh, than this uh, banner, for instance, um, where we can invest more of the time and, working on, you know, more banners that drive more revenue. Right. Just as influences. But there's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of ways that, that we as uh, analysts can, and, and, and analytics folks can, uh, can help drive, you know, bottom line revenue. And sometimes I get jealous of my more optimization-y peers because um, they, it's much easier to prove out the, the value. You know, you can point at a chart and say, we brought your conversion up X percent or increased revenue X percent. Whereas QA or implementation, uh, if, if we're doing our job well, it's, you know, we're kind of invisible. <laughs> like um, you only see it if it goes wrong and it's much harder to quantify. I saved you guys X amount of headaches this year or I reduced the amount of time it takes to, you know, put out a, a, a quality tech spec or we caught X number of errors. Those things just aren't as easy to get excited about as we increased conversion 5%. Improving um, data quality though, there are studies out there that oh, yeah. definitively that it does increase. Absolutely. Uh, it's just uh, harder to be a cheerleader for, I suppose, or to convince other people of, um, of, of the how it affects the bottom line, unless you have these big "I told you so" moments. Um, unfortunately, that's when it's easier to say, "See, this cost you guys X amount to fix this, or you lost this much of revenue. Now I'm valuable." <laughs> yeah, I've had that conversation where you know, how much is this going to cost me? Is what I hear. How much? Okay, that's great. You know, you're going to develop this new this you know, regression test for me with all of these. Uh, these tests, this test plan, this marvelous uh, thing that you want to do for me, how much is it going to cost me? Which is the wrong, the wrong question, really. It's, uh, you know, it's going to help you sleep better at night because you're going to, you're going to be testing more thoroughly. Um, how much is a production error cost, right? How much does it cost to fix something like the, the, the item that, Jim, that you mentioned, um, how much did that end up costing in terms of man hours, poor data quality? Um, you know, I'm sure the next week, the sprint wasn't solely focused on break fixes. I'm sure there was something else they wanted to do. So there's opportunity costs and, you know, uh, how much, how much did that cost? Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so as, as we start to wrap up, um, I want to pose a, a pretty broad question to you both, because I want to get your thoughts. Um, you know, as you look back on your experience, as well as look at where the, the space is today, what do you see as like the biggest threat to, to data quality? What do you see as like the most common thread that 
constantly comes across that leads to to issues or just like what, what do you see as the, the the biggest problem out there? Sunk cost. People who are so invested in their current way of doing things or are so have already dug a hole so deep they don't know how to get out. <laughs> um, to me, that's that's the biggest problem I see time and time again is yes, we understand the value of data quality and of setting up these processes right, but we already have so much technical debt from having not done it right in the past. How how do we start getting out of the hole? Or um, people are just too uh, too attached to the current way of doing things or the current process or um, their current data set um, to be willing to re-examine it and maybe change things up. But that's how we've always done it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Don't you hate hearing that in a meeting? I really, really do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think a couple other, those, that's, that's a good one. I think a, a couple others are, you know, the, and we talked about this in our last discussion, Jim, the uh, upcoming browser uh, changes and privacy and things like that. Um, as more and more changes are made and more folks are, are concerned with their privacy, I think uh, tools are going to have to catch up and the, the industry as a whole is going to have to be more creative, a lot more server side things, obviously. Um, and who knows where we end up in terms uh, with, with a lot of that stuff. Uh, optimization is immediately impacted uh, due to a lot of those things as well. Um, and then other data quality centric things. Um, I would think that, uh, hold on, I have people moving around again. Um, I would think that quality is, is really a result of, you know, the effort that's put into things. So going back to uh, quality QA, not having a seat at the table, that that's something that needs to be solved uh, in, in the short term. If you don't have all of the different disciplines participating in the conversation and you really relegate QA and analytics to the back of the bus or the caboose, as we mentioned previously, and you keep them there, um, your best intentions uh, will, will fail ultimately every time just due to the fact that you're, you're not, you don't have uh, the proper focus on, on the, the, uh, the folks as a whole. So you could put seven figures into your tools, seven figures into your people, and then have horrible process and fall on your face. Or you could have, you know, some good tools and some, you know, good people and throw some good process around it and outperform every time. It really matters how keenly focused you are on doing things correctly and not just checking the boxes, not just throwing QA on at the end, because that's where it's always been. And that's kind of how we're, we're going to do it, but making it uh, part of the entire chain, you know, an equal part. Until you do that, you're, you're constantly going to have those, uh, what happened? Why did, why did we, why did we hit this wall? Or why is this not tracking now? The faster we're running, and that's the other one, the faster we run, we want to, we want to go faster. We want to release 18 times a week. Right? I mean, we're it's, agile. It's getting crazy. The faster we get with these things, the more prone we are to error. Yeah. And the more we keep QA out of the loop and the more we relegate them to the, you know, to the back, the worse it's going to be. You're just going to, you're going to make more mistakes. You're going to drop more, you know, while you're running. Uh, I just, I, I really, I really think we need to have more of a, 
uh, a focus on making sure that QA is properly yeah. represented. Man, if I could choose any sound bite from this whole thing, the whole like, you can have seven figures of, uh, of tools and people and without process. Yes, that absolutely 100% that. And that's the, um, that's the part that to me, it's hardest to sell leadership on um, because I, I, I can go to leadership and tell them why to invest in a tool and you know, outside of a pandemic, I can probably go to leadership and tell them why they should invest in more people. But telling leadership, hey, I need your active involvement to get everybody in the department, everybody who has a vested interest in analytics involved and to change their daily approach to things. That's only going to happen with a kind of unique, united vision coming from leadership and enforcement coming from leadership. And that's really hard to get. Um, Often because it just it's outside of, you know, said leadership's wheelhouse, perhaps they haven't done it in the past. Um, we have to train them on how to communicate and care and all of the different pieces that would need to change for an entire department to have the right processes in place for analytics. Um, so I guess that's that's my plea out there to leadership. <laughs> um, realize that it's not just the, pro the the tools and the people, but the the vision and the processes that needs to be kind of communicated from the top and followed throughout an entire organization. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. Um, so again, thank you both for, for, for joining us today. Um, this has been a, a really fun conversation and, you know, I think it's something you can never talk enough about. Um, you know, constantly trying to bump up the importance of, Making sure that you're not just tracking things, but you're you're, you're tracking things right. Um, so as we wrap up, Eric, just uh, give us a quick rundown of uh, where people can find you. Um, still at datequakegroup.com. I'm going to be starting a podcast soon. Jen, I want you on it for sure. Uh, Jim and Jason, I've already invited you as well. I uh, just think somebody needs to do a QA analytics specific podcast in the future. Um, Going to continue our conversations that we've been having with some of these organizations around data quality. And uh, so look forward to that in the future. Cool. Uh, that sounds great. Well, again, thank you both. And uh, we'll catch everybody later. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.